0: You may be seated. You see this great call for us to anticipate the coming of Christ. And so this is the beautiful Advent season that we come to. I pray that you are more and more enthralled and more and more excited about the fact that a Savior has come as we celebrate this Christmas. In fact, I pray that this Christmas will be the most meaningful and the deepest Uh, the most fulfilling Christmas that each of you and all of us at Sheridan Hills have ever experienced. Well, this morning again, we welcome Tony to come and preach to us. If you would, please take out your Bible and go to the book of Romans. And as well, I would like to ask you to take your outline and have your outline ready to go. Tony, come and preach to us the Word. Good morning, Sheridan Hills. It is so good to be with you again. This is amazing. I'm so, I'm so honored again to be here with you uh, and to preach about the hope that we have for the nations. And so uh, what, what I want to do is, is I want to introduce to you today uh, the work that we do. Uh, and for some of you, you've heard this before, but for some, you might be new. You might not understand uh, who we are as missionaries sent out by the IMB. And so uh, we are uh, with an organization called the IMB. And the IMB is an organization that is, is sending through the Church of Southern Baptists into the world to, pre- to preach the gospel to all nations. And so we as IMB missionaries are sent out by a network of 47,000 churches throughout the country. And there's been some amazing things in the last 175 years that we have seen God do through the church sending out missionaries through the IMB. And just in 2019 there was 40 there were 3500 there, there are 3500 personnel that are on the field today throughout scattered throughout the world and in 2019 there were 500,000 people who have come to faith in Jesus 89,000 new believers in 2019 I'm sorry that was 500,000 that were preached to 89,000 new believers and 47,000 people were baptized in 2019 alone Praise God. (laughs) Along with that, 827 new people groups were engaged with the gospel, and 12,000 plus churches were started in one year alone. That is something that we praise God for, and it's something that we have a privilege to be a part of together, collectively. And today we're going to look at from Romans 15. This idea of a collective network of churches sending missionaries into the unreached places of the world. And so uh, as we look at Romans 15, uh, I want to, to remind us of a few weeks ago when Pastor Andrew gave us a message on Micah 4. If you remember, if you want to put up the slide, this was uh, the title was The Nation's Hope. And so if you notice, the, the title today is Hope and the Nation's. You might think, okay, this is kind of similar, and I tried really hard to differentiate the message titled today from Pastor Andrews, but uh, this was such an a amazing way for us to, to look at how the hope that we saw in Micah as it was preached to the nations, and, and then we look at that today, and that hope is still alive and still thriving in places all throughout the world, and that hope is being preached faithfully. And so, uh, if you remember the slide that Pastor Andrew showed, it was hope was the main theme that he was getting to with all the different issues and challenges that we face in the world, that we face especially here in our society in America. But it's that same hope that is spread across the entire world with all the issues that come in all different contexts, in all different peoples of the world. And it is this hope that we're going to look at today. So we will see just how, like in Micah, God's hope is for all people everywhere. And how God uses the missionary task to accomplish this. So with that, let's read from Romans 15, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have no reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything else except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain." And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father, we come to you uh, today, and, and we are in awe of the hope that you have given to us. So undeserving, so full of sin, and yet the hope of Jesus is with us. And we, we pray this morning that we would have a, a deeper understanding of how that hope can be proclaimed to all peoples in all nations. So Father, we pray that this morning we would, we would rightly divide your word together and that we would go from this place living differently in order to be a voice to the nations. We thank you, Father, for this amazing privilege and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Romans 15, Paul is concluding his letter that he wrote to the Romans. He is just given an unparalleled Description of theology and doctrine. In your outline, you'll see that chapters 1 through 11 are actually theological, very theological, while chapters 12 through 14 are practical on how to apply those theological truths in love and unity. As these are the final pages of his letter, Paul is personally addressing the Romans. In chapter 15, Paul gives the reason for his letter. He is communicating that in light of the deep doctrinal truths like justification through faith, union with Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul is going to Spain in order to bring the truth of the gospel of Jesus to those who have never heard. So the reason Paul writes a theologically dense letter is so that the Roman church may understand this is what I am going to preach among the people of Spain. So in this way, Romans is actually a missions letter. Romans is a missions letter. If you've ever read through the Bible before, you might say to yourself, well, if Romans is a missions letter, I've actually never seen the word missions in the entirety of the Bible. And if you make that observation, you would be correct. Our English translations of the Bible don't have the the term missions in them. However, when we look at the original, we will see that missions is actually throughout the entirety of the Bible, but especially within the New Testament. Eckhard Schnabel points out that the argument that the word mission does not occur in the New Testament is actually incorrect. The Latin verb metere corresponds to the Greek verb apostolon, which occurs 136 times in the New Testament. 97 times in the Gospels used both for Jesus having been sent by God and for the 12 being sent by Jesus. And so this word that we have for apostle is the word that means to be sent out. So an apostle is a sent out one, one who is sent out. And where are they sent out from? From the church, the body of believers. And who was the first missionary? Jesus was the first missionary coming from heaven to earth He stripped himself of his place in heaven to come down to be just like us in this context in order that we might be saved. And so we get our example from Jesus and the disciples as sent out ones. So missions is the way sent out ones go into the world. So as we look at Romans 15, we're thinking in terms of global missions, Paul is talking about going to far-off lands. He's talking about going into a new people, a new work. So in order for us to to understand that term missions a little more uh, easily, I gave you just a simple definition of what missions is. So if you look to your outline, missions refers to the work of the church in reaching across cultural, religious, ethnic, and geographic barriers to advance the work of making disciples of all nations. Missions is about crossing boundaries with the gospel to minister to those with limited or least access to it. So missions is is specific in that this is about bringing the gospel to places that do not have the gospel, to areas and people that have never heard the gospel. And missions is all about sending those out into these places throughout the world in order to preach the gospel. And so as we look at the text in, in Romans 15, I want to point your attention to uh, the, that missions is God's plan. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate that this is God's plan from the very beginning. And so I uh, point your attention to verse 9. And you see there that the, there are four passages surveying the Old Testament. And I want us to see how, through these four passages, Paul is surveying or going through the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures in order for us to see that this is not a new thing. This is not something that Paul is making up. This is something that has been on God's heart from the very beginning. And so go ahead, let's go ahead and read verse 9 and the quote that's there. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So if you want to go ahead and underline that passage and then I want you to draw a line from that passage to verse nine. This verse is coming from Second 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty, and Second Samuel is actually a part of a, of, a, of a group of books called the historical books found in the Old Testament. Okay, the next verse in verse ten it says, "Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people." Go ahead and underline that, and then draw a line to verse ten. This is coming from Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-three. And this book, Deuteronomy, is found in the law, another set of books. And then, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Go ahead and draw the, underline it and draw that line down to verse 11. Psalm 117, one, Psalms comes from the writings. And then, in verse 12, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So just a little short line across on verse 12, and we see that Isaiah 11.10 comes from the group of books of the prophets. And so what we're seeing here is that from the the books of history, law, writings, and the prophets, we're seeing a, a common theme, a common thread that God is interweaving in these books of the Old Testament. That his his desire is not just for a select few to know who he is and have a relationship, but instead it's actually for the entire world, the Gentiles being those outside of the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God, that God's heart is for the Gentile to know and worship him. And so Paul is surveying the Old Testament and and he gives God's plan, which gives hope. God's plan gives hope. The reason for this is that God is love and wants to extend his mercy to all of us. From Genesis 3 until today, God has been working to reestablish his relationship with man. He desires that we have hope in him, and hope is actually a key word in these verses. So if we, if we go to uh, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles, hope. Go ahead and underline hope or circle it. May the god of circle it hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in go ahead and circle that one hope if we go back to verse 4 in chapter 15 it reads for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope god's hope is our motivation to bring the gospel to the nations It is God's hope that we have received and that we get to experience as followers of Jesus and and we get to proclaim that hope to the nations. The next thing we see that Paul is describing here is that missions is God's work. And this is found in verses 14 through 19. Paul appeals to the church in Rome, which is a church that he actually didn't plant. So Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he's writing to a group he has not spent time with. And Paul is writing to them with with boldness. He says in verse uh, 15 uh, something interesting that that he's written in some points boldly to the body of believers whom he's never met. This boldness is apparent in his dealing with deep issues of theological significance and also dealing with the unity of the Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church throughout the letter. Why is he writing in this way? Why does he write boldly? Why does he spend the first... uh, the first third, sorry, 11 chapters going deep into theology and then, and then applying that theology and now is appealing to the Romans. Why is he doing this? Well, John Piper makes an illustration that I think helps to il- illustrate this a little better. Imagine that a missionary is trying to go to uh, a place in China and he's trying to, to have churches support him on his way and be sent to uh, an area in China. So he calls the church office here and he says, uh, I, would, I would love uh, if we could uh, sit down and talk about how we can uh, partner together to bring the gospel to this place that I'm going to in China. Now, you have no relationship with this person and you have not met this person before and so uh, you are a mission-minded church. We here at Sheridan Hills are a mission-minded church. And so you might say something like, why don't you go ahead and write us a letter And tell us what it is that you're actually going to do. And and, and let us know about who you are. And in doing that, the missionary is explaining who he is and, and, and he's explaining why he's going. And this is what Paul is doing in Romans. And so if a missionary was in this position, what kind of letter should he write? Well, a good guide would be actually the book of Romans. Because it's important what our theology is, it's important what we know about sin, about salvation, about, about how justification through faith is an important aspect of our salvation in Christ. And this is what Paul is doing. And if that missionary were to do that, explain who he was in Christ and why he's going to this place in China to share the gospel, well then maybe the church would consider partnering with this person. So instead of writing about his specific financial needs, his strategies, or his projects, Paul focuses on what the gospel has accomplished. He shows that we are completely and utterly lost in our sin without hope, apart from the justification that comes through faith in Jesus. We have turned away from God and therefore live in death, but God has sent his son to die in our place. This is what Paul is explaining To take the punishment we deserve in order that we might have a right relationship with God. So through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, we are brought into the kingdom as adopted sons and daughters. Our sin is great, but Christ's sacrifice is so much greater. This is Paul's case to the Romans as to why he wants to continue to bring the message to the Gentiles. In verse 16, Paul says to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying here that he, like the priest of the Old Testament who would offer up animal sacrifices for the atonement of sin, that they might be sanctified, he is becoming, he is offering himself as a living sacrifice. He offers himself as living sacrifice. Now, that might ring a bell for you because in in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In order for the Gentiles to be acceptable to God, we are to live as living sacrifices so that they might be sanctified through Christ. Instead of offering up animal sacrifices, what do we offer up today? Ourselves, to the sake of the, for the sake of the gospel. We are living sacrifices being offered up in order that they might know who Christ is. But who's doing the sanctification in that process? It's not us. It's actually the Holy Spirit. Paul, and no other missionary for that matter, can do any work apart from what God does in the heart of man. This is God's work, and Paul's boast is in Christ's power. Paul moves on to verse 17, and we read, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying that he has absolutely no right or room to boast in anything other than Christ's power. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul writes, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is a burden lifter for us. This takes that burden of the task of missions and, and takes it off of us and puts it squarely on the Creator God. He's the only one who can change the heart and mind of a, of a person. Nothing that we can do. We have nothing to do with people's hearts. That is God's work. A, a few years ago, we were out in a village and uh, we were doing some prayer walking and as we're out in this village, walking around, we, we came up to a house and started a conversation with someone. And as we were there, there was a, a young man standing at the side, looking over. Kind of listening in. He kind of inches a little closer. He's listening a little closer. And then finally, we start to engage in conversation with him. And as we start to talk to him, we find out he's a guide, a, a local mountain guide. And he, is, uh, he usually brings guests up to... Uh, a local trek, and, uh, and he's actually practicing English. So we get a chance to speak a little bit of English with him, he gets to practice, and and in that conversation, we have an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And after we finish that gospel presentation, we get to the end, and he says, you know what? It's interesting that you, you're telling me this, because my friend and I, we've, we've been studying the holy books, and... We have been reading through the Quran and, and the Hadith and all these things that, that, are, that are of the Islamic religion. But there's, there's a certain book that we haven't been able to find. And we've heard of it. It's, it's got the book of Matthew and John in it. Have you heard of this book? Do you know where we can find this book? <laughs> and so I, I try to hold my excitement in as much as I could. And I said, actually... I have one in my car. So we run over to the car. We, we get a Bible and we come back and for the next close to an hour sit in this young man's living room with, he, his, with him, his mother, his brothers and sisters and, and open the word together and we read about this Jesus that John and Matthew are talking about. I had nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with the work God was doing in, in this young man's life before we met. That was God doing it. Another story is when we, we were at a friend's house and, and there was a young couple. We were doing some work with them and as we were with them, I was in one room with the husband and Kaylin was in another room with the wife. And as Kaylin is talking to her, uh, she, she talks about her time that she spent some Uh, a little bit of time in in, uh, the Netherlands and and while she was there she she received a a copy of of the Bible in English and so she knew some English and and so um, she had it up there on her shelf and and then uh, she said and you know I haven't I'm not really understanding uh, the Bible but there was one one night I had a dream and in my dream a a man came to me in bright white and, um, and he was saying follow me and there was something interesting about this man because it wasn't just a normal situation. He was walking on water towards me. And so Kaylin obviously thinks, oh, you've, you've read the story of when Jesus walks on the water then. And so she asks her, have you read that story in the Bible? She says, no. And so Kaylin gets to explain to her this person who, who's in her dream. And she says, this is Jesus who's coming to you. And and the, and the girl says, wow, I believe that this is Jesus. And I want to believe. God was doing a work in her heart. But if she were to believe, she would be giving up her life. She was afraid. She was pregnant at the time. She did not know what was going to happen if she followed Jesus. She didn't know what her husband would think. She probably would be excommunicated from her community there would probably be a lot of backlash for her if she were to follow. And so even though she saw this and how God worked in her heart, that day she didn't make the decision to follow Christ because of the great cost it was. And this is a reality for these people that live among these unreached peoples. So from these stories we see that God was the one at work we had nothing to do with what God was doing in in the hearts of of those that were seeking him. God is calling men unto him and we have the privilege to be a part of this work. And that's what it is, a privilege. Verses 20 through 21 points out that missions is peoples focused. Missions is peoples with an S, focused. And we'll talk about what that means. Why do we say peoples so in 20, verses 20 and 21, it says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He goes on to say in verse 23 that there's no longer room for his work in the areas that he's already visited. So, what is Paul saying? Is he, is he saying that he believes the areas that he's already been that visited on his missionary journeys that, that they have all been saturated with the gospel? Well, we know that this is probably not possible because of the, the, the distance and the amount of people and the time that was spent in each place. So I want to put up the map of, of where we're talking about. So he says from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. If you look Uh, At the red circles, you have Jerusalem there on the bottom right. And Illyria is Illyricum. And that's modern-day northern Greece, Croatia, and Albania. It's in that area. It covers a vast stretch of land. And at this time, we're talking thousands upon thousands and the hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, that are in this area. So is Paul telling us that he believes that this entire area is, is reached with the gospel? Well, that's not what Paul is saying because we know that Paul in this area has been about the work of setting up churches and raising up leaders in those churches from these areas of indigenous people to then take the message of the cross, the message of Jesus to their people. So Paul is not saying that this entire place is reached, but what he's saying is that we have churches along this area. But you know where we don't have churches right now? It's in Spain. We have not been able to get to Spain yet with the gospel. And so he's giving, showing a difference between these places that, even though they're not reached, they're they're being engaged with the gospel, but Spain is out there and have not yet been reached for the gospel. Not engaged at all with the gospel. So he's prioritizing unreached peoples. I often hear the the comment that why would we go and spend so much time and spend so many resources to go into these places that are far off, hard to get to, all the technical things to get there. You have to take a, uh, a plane and then you get on a boat and then you get on, it takes hours upon hours to get there on rocky terrain. Why would we do that when there are lost people right here? There are people right here that don't know Jesus, and there's plenty of stuff to be done. There's plenty of ministry to be done. While that statement is true in a way that, yes, there are, there is plenty to be done, and there are lots of ministries to be done locally, that focusing only locally and not globally to the nations is actually not what the Great Commission tells us. So I want to point you to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, in verse 19, which is the Great Commission, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, this verse, we see that all nations, what is this term, nations? Well, in the Greek, it's ethne. So simply put, ethne refers to all peoples everywhere. That includes Everybody. At the the time Paul is writing Romans, the ethne he is focused on are those in Spain. And there are people in the world today just like those in Spain in Paul's day. There are peoples, people groups, that do not have access to the gospel. So I would like to describe to you this idea of people groups. This idea of ethne, of peoples. And so if you look at your notes, we have the definition for people group. A people group is an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared by the various members. So these are people who have a a common culture, common language, a common belief system, religion, that that are uh, together. And this is the entire world is made up of people groups. So, today, there are 11,966 people groups in the world. That makes up the population of the world at roughly 7.8 billion people. So, 11,966 people groups make up the entire population of the world. So, now we have this other category. And these people are called unreached people groups, or UPG. And the definition for an unreached people group is that there is no indigenous community of believing Christians able to engage this people group with church planting. So technically speaking, this is uh, the percentage of evangelical Christians is less than 2%. So in our case, the people group that we have been living among for the last several years is 3.6 million in this people group. And of those 3.6 million people, there are a few hundred believers. So if 2% is the minimum standard, 300 three or 400 people out of 3.6 million is well below that standard. And so uh, this makes up 7,414 people in the world today. I'm sorry, groups, people groups in the world today and a population of 3.23 billion. Two, three billion. Let's look at the next map and see what this looks like. So you, you'll notice that there's um, green and red and yellow. Well, that red is what we're focusing on. That is the populations of the world that are unreached. This is that 3.23 billion people. And and a lot of these people are in places that are really hard to get into. They're really challenging to live in these places, to get to these people. The terrain and the the modes of transportation and and the access to these people are very challenging. But there's 3.23 billion. Next, we have unengaged, unreached people groups, or UUPGs. So these are unreached people groups that are unengaged, I'm sorry, unreached people groups are unengaged when there is no church planting strategy consistent with evangelical faith and practice underway. What does that mean? It means that there's no one engaging these people groups with the gospel, with no no evangelistic strategy, there's no resources in their language, there's nothing being, uh, no one is engaging them with the gospel. So in the world today, there are 3,146 groups with a population of 292 million. Let's throw the next map up on the screen, and you'll see that all the red dots are what we consider unengaged, unreached people groups. Now, unreached people groups are hard to get to a lot of times, but when we talk about unengaged, unreached people groups... The reason they're on this list is because they're very difficult and challenging to get into. And so, putting our attention back on Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that his ambition is to go where Christ has not been named. These are actually unreached peoples. These are people that don't have the Bible written in their language. These are people that don't have churches to go to. These are people that have no Christians to share Jesus with them. So to try to understand this a little better, I'm going to help you with an illustration to kind of understand. Going back to the statement, why do we need to go if we have so much lostness here? So I'm gonna, I want to present to you two, two men. One of them is John. He's an American. Uh, he works a normal office job here in America. The other man is Amir. He's a Muslim. He lives in Southeast Asia, and he is a rice farmer. So, so both around the same age, Both 100% lost. No relationship with God. John, on his way to work, he drives, and on his radio, there's actually a couple of Christian stations that he can tune into. And in those Christian stations, they they talk about God's truth and Bible verses, and and even sometimes they'll they'll, uh, mention the gospel. And then, as he passes uh, by different buildings... Four of those buildings are actually evangelical, Bible-believing Christian churches. Once he gets to work, John is is among people that a few of them are actually followers of Jesus. There's Christians where he works, his co-workers. And they've even had conversations with John about about church, inviting him over, and talking about Jesus and and their faith. and, and, And actually, they've invited John over to church, and, and John has actually been to a church service. And at that church service, the, the Bible was, was, was uh, taught and the gospel was preached. John was, was able to, to walk by the, the bookstore at, at the church and notice that there's a number of versions of the Bible in his own heart language, English. Many to choose from. And John, when he's at home, he has access to Uh, high-speed internet that gives him access to any number of things that he would want to look into. If he wanted to seek after who Jesus was, he could. And so although John is 100% lost, he has access to the gospel in many different forms. Now let's talk about Amir. Amir, on his normal uh, walk to the fields instead of passing by churches he's passing by mosques and and those mosques uh, on a daily basis five times a day will will blare out the call to prayer amir has no one in his family no one in his community no one in his city who follows jesus there are no churches there's no bible in his heart language he doesn't have really good internet quality, so uh, the signal where he is is not very, very good. The infrastructure is not there. He wouldn't be able to access anything on the radio because there's no Christian stations, and on TV, is, it's all actually, uh, it's actually limited by the government on what they can actually view. The government actually is against the sharing of the gospel among their people in their country. But I think the the most damaging thing in Amir's situation is that he knows no Christians. He has no one in his life who can share with him the gospel of Jesus. Amir can live his entire life and never hear the message of the gospel. That means he can be born, he can live his life, and he can die never hearing the name of Jesus proclaimed. Two men, 100% lost, and yet one has access and one doesn't. This is what we mean by unreached peoples. And this is why it is so important that we focus to unreached peoples. This is why Paul's desires to go to Spain. There is no church established there, which means there is no gospel. Therefore, there is no hope of salvation for the people in Spain to receive the grace that he just spent 14 chapters describing. Spain has, doesn't know this yet. He just wrote un, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He writes that the wages of sin is death. So is this ringing a bell from Romans? He writes in the first chapter in verses 19 and 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So Paul tells the Roman church that apart from the justification that comes through faith in Jesus, there is no hope because we are all guilty and without excuse. This idea destroys the, I, the, the false idea that there's an innocent villager out in Africa or name the country who if he were to die, if she were to die... She would she would go to heaven because they're innocent. They don't know. Paul just spent chapters describing how it is only through Christ. And if, if a person lives their entire life and never gets to hear Christ, that means they don't have that hope of eternal salvation. Paul sees this as urgent. And we need to see it as urgent, too. Remember that it's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. The Great Commission is a mandate. And guess what? It's for all of us. And praise God. Because if it weren't for the Great Commission, none of us would know Christ, would know and have a relationship with God. We, we most of us in this room, are of Gentile, we're not of the nation of Israel. And so we are part of that peoples of the Gentiles that, that God has sought after through the Bible. Paul gets into now in verses 22 and 23 that missions is for the church. In the rest of his letter, Paul is talking directly to the Roman church, looking forward to his planned future visit to be encouraged and refreshed. He's also calling them to action Paul calls, the, Paul calls the church to action. In verse 24, he is seeking the Romans' help on his way to Spain. He talks of other churches' example of giving. So what the church in, churches in Macedonia and Achaia have already realized is that it is a pleasure and obligation to give. And this is what, what Paul is, is about as he's on his way to bring the, 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 the help to Jerusalem. And finally, he urges churches to join him through prayer. He is asking for the Romans to pray. In verse 30, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And this is the pattern that we find in Paul's letters. At the end of his letter in Colossians, Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul knows that the churches that are sending him to these different places are just as vital to the Great Commission task, the missionary task, as it is for him as a sent out one. If it weren't for these churches coming behind, coming alongside, and supporting Paul's work, Paul could not do what he's doing in these missionary efforts. We are all to be a part of the Great Commission task together. So how? How are we to be a part of the Great Commission task? What are, what are some things we can be doing? And So I'm going to give you some practical things to think about as we go into this season uh, for this next month looking towards global missions. And, and I'm going to encourage you to think through these different ways that we can come together for the Great Commission task. So first... We need to pray. Prayer is the single most powerful tool that we have as believers to see kingdom advancement among the nations. If it weren't for the, the prayer support that comes to missionaries through the church, they would be working out, outside of the power of Christ. It is, it is like, we, like we saw earlier, it is in God's power that we're able to see God change hearts. And that power comes through prayer. So, how should you pray? As Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 9:38, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest fields. We need to pray for more workers. We need to pray that God would send people into these unreached peoples, into these unengaged, unreached peoples that need to so desperately hear the gospel. We need to be actively praying. For those workers. You can be praying for your missionaries, your IMB missionaries who, who do give up uh, a lot to go overseas and, and to be among the people and, and to learn the language. And, and, and guess what? There's a big target on a missionary's back because they're going into places that have never been accessed with the gospel. We ask people after we share the gospel with them, have you ever heard this before? And 80% of the time, they have never heard the gospel. With that comes a lot of spiritual oppression and spiritual warfare, and we as the church need to be undergirding missionaries with prayer, because it's in that that they receive power through the Holy Spirit. Pray for their marriages and their children. Pray that God would keep them faithful in sharing the gospel. We have uh, as. Pastor Andrew pointed out earlier, we have this this pamphlet that we get every month at the beginning of the month called Prayer Points. What an amazing tool. Our family uses that every month to be able to pray for specific people and places and peoples in the world and missionaries. What an amazing tool that, that that is. And I do want to mention that what an amazing church we have here at Sheridan Hills who keeps these things in front of us. You have access right here in the worship center to go to the tables in the back and you have prayer points printed ready for you. In your bulletin, you have prayer points ready for you to pray through. On any given week here at Sheridan Hills, it's amazing all the resources that, that the pastors and, and the leaders of the church have provided for us to be able to be active about reaching the nations for Christ. It's amazing. And the International Mission Board, the IMB, has amazing resources on their, on their website. If you go to imb.org, you can click on pray, and you have an entire pages upon pages of resources. And in fact, I think this week starts the week of prayer, seven days that you pray specifically for work that's happening throughout the world. And uh, the IMB does an amazing job of communicating stories and, and uh, giving you images to see all the work that's happening and going on. So imb.org has so many resources for you. The second thing we need to do together is we need to give. Did you know that Southern Baptists have one of the most incredible missionary support mechanisms in the world? Of those 47,000 Southern Baptist churches, they are able to cooperatively, collectively receive money and give that money towards the IMB. And Sheridan Hills uh, does this as well. And in fact, there's even a goal. We just saw that earlier. There's a goal for this, this season for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is the offering for all IMB uh, activity and work and personnel throughout the world. And 100% of what you give towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to the work happening among the unreached. And so uh, for this month, we have a a goal of $55,000, which is an amazing goal. It's an amazing goal. But this is one very practical way that you can give. And giving at any time to to, to the IMB, to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, uh, you can just, again, go to the website of imb.org. You can click on Give, and you can give whatever you'd like. Think about this. If 25% of, of Southern Baptists... Were to give $100, we would be able to over double the amount of missionaries that are on the field today. I'll say that again. If only 25% of all Southern Baptists gave $100, we would be able to more than double the amount of missionaries that are on the field today. That is amazing. And the IMB has set a goal this year overall. While Sheridan Hills has a $55,000 uh, goal, $175 million. $175 million. The IMB is his, uh, saying is the goal for uh, t- 2020 to give to Lottie Moon. And let me urge you to just give generously. As, we, as Pastor Andrew said, this is a season not to, not to think about all that we get, but also to give. And so, giving is a very practical way for you to be a part of the Great Commission task. Thirdly, we need to be sending sending. Uh, You saw earlier in in the pamphlet, there's opportunities in this year of teams going to places. You can be a part of sending these teams. How? There's a lot that goes into these trips. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of prep work. There's a lot of uh, financial things as well that, that need to happen in order for teams to go out into these places and and be a part of the work. And so uh, you can be a part of uh, being on the leadership team or, the, or you can be a part of, of the prayer team for these, for these different groups that are going. You can be a part of discipling uh, these different groups that are going and, and, and being their support in prayer, prayer partners as they go. There's a lot of ways to send. Think creatively of how you can be a sender. Some of us in this room cannot go. There's limitations, physical limitations work limitations, different things that are in our lives that we just can't physically go. But just like Paul preaches to the Romans, their role is just as vital, your role is just as vital to seeing the gospel being preached among the unreached as it is for those that do go. And so be a sender, be a church that sends, be an encourager to those that might be considering going overseas for a longer term, maybe a two-year term or, or a lifetime encourage those that go and then finally we need to go now maybe there are some of you in this room that have considered this maybe maybe you've been putting it off maybe you've you've been trying to stay away from that that holy spirit conviction that has kind of been around for a little while and you just keep on brushing it to the side a lot of us think in terms of why should i go but i would encourage you to think in terms of why shouldn't i go Many of you in this room can go. Why should you not? It's an important question for us to ask. So before this day is over, as you, as you go out, consider this question. Should I go? Or why shouldn't I go? Why shouldn't I go? We have some... Uh, questions there at the bottom of your of your outline it says are you a part of the great commission task bringing the gospel to the nations how are you participating are you praying are you giving are you sending should you go these are important questions to ask and important things to evaluate as as we as the church are a part of the great commission there was a, a man whose name was Sue, and he was a, a mountain uh, horse guide. And one day, our team was introduced to him, and, and he, was, he was waiting there with his horse and waiting for uh, a guest to come. And, and our team uh, was able to sit there and, and um, proclaim the gospel to him. And by the end of the conversation... This man, Sue, uh, as as a question of of response, do you believe this? Of do you believe the gospel that Jesus Christ uh, lived a perfect life, that He died, was buried, and resurrected, and became Savior for us all, took the punishment for our sin, and that we can, if we have faith in Him, can have salvation for eternity? The gospel. He begins to cry and that crying gets a little bit more intense and after a few moments he's just weeping just weeping and wailing he takes his sarong that he had on him and he wraps it around his head and just is for the next few moments just is, just wailing finally after a, a, a few moments he unwraps his head and our our teammate says are are you, are you okay is everything okay he says, I have been waiting my entire life to hear the truth. And I know that what you told me is true because it's pierced my heart. Sue was not a young man. He was, he was uh, later in his life. And in fact, it was only a few years later that he, he ended up passing away. But what an amazing thing that Sue in his old age, was able to hear the gospel message for the very first time and was able to respond and was able to believe and be saved and now have hope. And then the day when we get to see Sue, along with the multitudes from all peoples, tribes, languages, standing before the throne of God, praising him, we can see the fruit of our efforts in the Great Commission task. We might not see it today, but it will be amazing standing together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and in, in the unreached peoples in the far places of the world who got to hear and got to respond. May we be about that together. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this amazing hope that we have. As we're reminded in in our Advent season that hope is really a pillar in our faith. And we thank you that we can be a part of your gospel, message of salvation. And Lord, we know that there's people out in the world today who haven't had that chance. They haven't had that opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. Father, we want to be about bringing that message to those people. Lord, I pray that our church, Sheridan Hills, would be actively pursuing being a part of your Great Commission task. That we would continue to see the Great Commission not as something that is a a duty, but a, a great privilege. What an amazing thing we get to be a part of. What an amazing thing that we've received We thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And we thank you that that message of salvation is what we bring to a lost and hopeless people in the world. Help us, Lord, to think of the ways that we might be a part of that. To listen to the Holy Spirit on how we might be a part of that. What role might we play? something as simple as praying but yet something so powerful thank you father for this amazing work you've given for us to be a part of may you be glorified and may you be honored in our going in jesus name amen let's stand friends as we respond to this challenge in song